0: Hey, before we get going today, though, uh, I need to repent of all of the uh, mean things I ever said about Purdue football. <laughs> right? The only, I told Kane this morning, though, the only bad thing is that now Notre Dame's gonna be number three. That's the, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Hey, a uh, reminder to Discovery Class tonight, if you want to learn more about Wawasee Bible, join us. Uh, if, you're, if you signed up and you can't make it tonight, please come tell me after the service, because we'll order pizza this afternoon. If you'd like to come and you haven't signed up, please come tell me so we get enough food for you to join us. And uh, one other thing, are you a little chilly this morning? A little chilly? Well, you can, you can just scoot closer together, or you can maybe think to dress warmer over the next few weeks. Uh, not this week yet, but next week, that front wall is going to be gone. Yeah, and so it's going to get chilly. So uh, a couple things, just dress warm, be, keep that in mind. Uh, we'll send something out on email as well. It's part of the process, we're going to be okay, so just dress appropriately, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah? All right. Well, last week we began a new series called Life is Short, and we're studying uh, parts of the book of Ecclesiastes. It was a little somber, wasn't it? Yeah, it doesn't get much better the further you read. I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's, um, it's a book of, uh, it's Solomon's memoir. I believe it's written towards the end of his life as he's looking back on his life. And he's regretting a lot of the foolish choices that he's made. Uh, last week we saw that Solomon tells us that life is meaningless It's a wearisome treadmill of futility, but not if your hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, as we get started this morning, I wonder, I want you to think back with me a ways. Uh, Do you remember the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia? You're like, wow, that's a weird turn of events. No, you don't probably. I didn't either. But uh, something unusual happened that captured the world's imagination at those Olympics. Uh, if you think back, and maybe some of you will remember this, I don't know, but you might be able to recall, there was a surprising word hanging from a large bridge over the harbor in Sydney, the Sydney Harbor Bridge, and it was unveiled at the opening ceremony of the 2000 Olympics. When the torch was lit, uh, this word uh, just massively came to light. And it read something that God has placed inside of each one of us. The word, strangely enough, was eternity. And all around the world, people saw this on television. And, that, and suddenly, just this big reminder of something that uh, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has planted in the heart of every human being. Eternity. It's a strange word to pick for the Olympics, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, was it just intended to be a motivator for the athletes? You know, here's your chance at immortality and at eternity. Or was there something more? Well, to the the Aussies, there was something much, much more. And understanding its significance uh, leads us to the theme of uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. See, in November 1932 in Australia, a down-on-his-luck World War I veteran named Arthur Stace was homeless and helplessly addicted to alcohol. He had a life of gambling and petty crime, and it only worsened his poverty, and it drove him to the point of suicidal depression. He failed at everything he could think of uh, to try to content this aching cavity in his soul. And then one Sunday night, finally, he stumbled uh, drunk into a church. Well, by God's sovereignty... A guy was preaching that evening by the name of John Ridley, and Ridley is quoted as saying this that night to everyone in in attendance. You're on your way to somewhere, brother, and God made you to long for the place that you're headed for. Well, this struck Stace uh, to to the core and cut him to the heart. And over and over and over, Ridley in his sermon kept saying, Eternity, eternity, eternity. Well, eventually, after all of this, as Ridley proclaimed the truth, uh, the Holy Spirit invaded Arthur Stace's soul. And he gave his life to Christ. And he dedicated that night himself to doing whatever he could to help other people find the God who had found him that evening. And do you know what he did? He walked around with a piece of chalk... And he started writing that word that had such a profound effect on him everywhere. Eternity. Eternity. He just wrote it places. Well, this went on for years, and people in Sydney had no idea where this was coming from, what was happening. And then finally, uh, I believe it was in 1952, Uh, 1956, they finally found him writing, Arthur Stace. And and curiously, no one stopped him or demanded him stop his writing, his daily discipline. Because his writing, somehow, instead of being insulted by this overly spiritual message, people reported feeling strangely encouraged by it. From all walks of life, Sydney residents were stumbling across eternity, scrawled in different places all throughout the city. And in fact, if you go to Sydney today... Uh, In a certain government building, I read, you can climb up in the clock tower and still see the faint word eternity that Stace himself wrote there in his very distinct script as he wrote it. Uh, And then 30 years, he he died in 1967 at 83 years of age, and uh, his gravestone reads, Arthur Malcolm Stace, Mr. Eternity. A word he had written, uh, estimates by over 500,000 times 30 years later 30 plus years later that word shows up on the sydney harbor bridge for all the world to see at the 2000 summer olympics well this search for eternity is really nothing new is it it didn't start with stace it didn't start with any of us in fact um 3,000 years before Arthur, a man by the name of Solomon, the wisest and richest man of all time, chronicled his own futile search for fulfillment in his book of Ecclesiastes. And if ever someone uh, went down every conceivable avenue of satisfaction yet never found it, Solomon was that guy. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's his memoir of doing all this. So this morning we're going to talk about living for eternity as we look at some of King Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. But before we do, let me pray, and then uh, we're going to dive in. Okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you uh, uh, that you've created us and you've planted, as your word says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, you've planted into the heart of every human being eternity and a longing for it. But the rest of that verse tells us that uh, ultimately uh, we can't find it on our own. That apart from you, there's no way for us to to find that longing and to fulfill that longing, Jesus, other than in you. So uh, even as we look at the futility of life under the sun, as Solomon uh, wisely writes to us about, keep in our hearts, keep in our minds this idea that there is more above the sun. There is eternity waiting. And for anyone who would turn in faith to Jesus Christ, it's theirs to be had. Holy Spirit, thanks that you use me. I pray you would use me again today. And uh, we pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, who would cause us to keep our gaze here and never Jesus toward you. Might you be honored today and might we be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Ecclesiastes is a book of Solomon uh, written at the end of his life, and it's you might think of it as kind of his memoir to future generations. It's like he's coming to the end of his race, and he's running, and he's looking back over his shoulder at everybody who's about to start, and he says, hey, read this. Don't do the stupid things I did. Don't be foolish like I was. And, and he does that to all future generations, including each person in this room. He takes time to examine his own life and to think about life in general. And his conclusion, as we saw last week, and as we'll see every week in this series for the next uh, four after this yet, uh, is very depressing. Here's his conclusion. That every pursuit under the sun is meaningless. Every pursuit. Is this, this is Solomon's conclusion. The wisest man who ever lived, second to Jesus Christ. He says, every pursuit under the sun Is meaningless. Let's let's read, uh, pick it up in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. And uh, let's pick it up where Solomon says this. He says, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. Uh, Some scholars would argue that that Solomon is not the author of Ecclesiastes, that it's uh, someone else writing like Solomon, uh, but I think there's, there's evidence throughout this book that Solomon is the one who actually wrote this. And if we're going to take it as truth, uh, he says right here, I, the teacher, was king of Israel. I lived in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. Uh, Solomon takes some time here, and he's going to do it multiple times as we go this morning, to kind of lay out his credentials. Uh, many of you know... Uh, I get the great privilege to be able to teach occasionally at Grace College, to teach in their Bible department. And uh, when, when I went to uh, this first orientation before teaching, one of the things they told us is, make sure on your syllabus and in your first class, always lay out your credentials so that they can have confidence that they're being taught by somebody who knows what they're talking about. That's kind of what Solomon's doing. He's like, I'm a teacher. I was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And later he's going to tell us that that he was wiser than any king who ever lived. And the truth is, he was. He says in verse 13, uh, kind of the point again of this book, he circles around over and over. And uh, he does it again here. He says, I devoted myself to search for understanding, to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun. Let me just say here, if anybody had their credentials to go on this search for meaning, Solomon had them. In two, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, he rightly says, For who can do this better than I, the king? That's what he says. Do you know some of Solomon's background? I wonder, we covered a little bit of it last week, but do you, do you realize who this guy was? He was in, incredible. See, Solomon, after he becomes king, God gives him the chance to ask for anything he would desire and it'd be granted to him. And Solomon, after uh, thinking about it, and he kind of has this little discourse where he talks through it, he lands on him desiring wisdom from God to know how to rule and lead well as king. Well, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says that uh, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. I mean, what would you ask for if God said, hey, I'm going to grant you whatever you ask for. What would you like? What would you ask for? It might be some of the things on this list, right? Like a a long life. God, let me live a long time. For me, ever since I was a little kid, I don't know why, I've always wanted to live to be 100 years old. I just always thought that was really cool. I still think that would be kind of cool. or uh, maybe you asked for uh, wealth. God, maybe you would, uh, you would have, maybe you prayed that yesterday. Maybe you bought a Mega Millions ticket and that prayer wasn't answered. But maybe you would have, if, if, you know, if you were Solomon, maybe you would have, if you would have had that opportunity, you might have prayed that yesterday. Or, or maybe there's just people you don't like and I just wish they were gone. God says, because you didn't pray for these things, a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, you know What? But you prayed for wisdom? Here's what God says because you prayed for wisdom and not any of those things, I will give you what you asked for. In fact, I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. So, what's that tell you about Solomon? He's the wisest dude to ever walk the earth, second to Jesus, right? He has incredible, incredible wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And then look at the bonus in verse 13. God goes on, he says, And I'll also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow after me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And God did give him riches. Did you know Solomon's net worth today, there was an article on CNBC last year that his net worth in 2017 would have been $2.2 trillion. Do you know what Jeff Bezos, the, the wealthiest man in the world, is worth? About $145 billion. Solomon is 15 times richer than the guy in second place. I would say God gave him A lot of wealth, didn't he? He kept his promise to him. Well, uh, Solomon goes on here. He, He says, I devoted myself to search for understanding, to explore by wisdom everything done under heaven. He was more qualified than anyone else, and his conclusion did not take long. He says, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. He said, I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, It is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. That phrase, under the sun, I told you last Sunday that uh, that's a key phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes it's, it's phrased under heaven, but it comes up about 30 times, depending on your translation. And it's Solomon's way of saying everything in this life, on this earth, he says is meaningless. And if he's saying there's an under the sun, by definition, what must there also be? An over the sun. And that's where he's going to conclude at the end where meaning is found. And that's really where we're going today in terms of eternity. Because he says under the sun, it's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. I wonder, do you have any collections or know anybody who collects anything? When I was a little boy, uh, my brothers and I collected baseball cards. We go to the grocery store and there was this section... Probably, I don't know, must have been about five, six feet wide and five, six feet tall. Just all kinds of baseball cards, right? There was was different, there was Fleer, there was Tops, there was Upper Deck, all these different brands. And you could get a price guide, this Beckett price guide you could buy. And you could look up cards by year. And, you know, most of them were worth about, you know, one cent, three cents, five cents. How they figured that out, I don't know. I think maybe they were just trying to get little kids like me to buy their magazine. But we collected baseball cards. In fact, I have a big tote in our basement that whenever we're cleaning stuff out, I get made fun of because i got all these baseball cards. What are you ever going to do with those? I don't know, but they're worth something. It was in a magazine. <laughs> but I've, I've, got a, I've got a lot of cool things. I've got like a, anyway, I'm not going to go into it. I've got a bunch of cool rookie cards. I won't, I won't bore you. But now, have you ever known anybody, though, who uh, instead of chasing after baseball cards or whatever it is you might collect, um, chased after the wind? Can you imagine if somebody took a jar and they went outside like yesterday? It was crazy windy. Would you agree? And uh, going outside, and they take their, their jar outside, and they're like, Oh, this wind is amazing. I've got to add it to my collection. And so they get out their jar and they hold it up, and they blow away, put their little cap on. Oh, awesome, I got it. And then they come home and they open it up just to check it out. What a waste. You can't catch the wind. Solomon says that trying to find meaning in life under the sun is like that it's like having a wind collection. How foolish does it get, right? That's what Solomon says. He says it right here. It's like chasing the wind. And that phrase, by my count, comes up about 10 times throughout his book. And he says it over and over. He goes on to explain this conclusion, and he does so over and over as well. He says, for example, what's wrong cannot be made right. No, he says cannot. Every wrong, every injustice... Under the sun, if you simply look at it from that perspective, will never be accounted for. All the evil and wickedness of guys like Adolf Hitler. If this is all there is, is life under the sun, that will never be remedied. What about the wickedness or injustice that's happened to you? Every wrong, what's wrong cannot be made right. He goes on, what's missing cannot be recovered The ESV reads, uh, what's crooked cannot be made straight. What's lacking cannot be counted. Nothing can be made straight or made sense of under the sun. Now, some of you, you're hearing that, and that's ringing true in your heart because as you've thought about life, you too have realized that, you know what, this just seems like, it, it seems so futile. And I think everybody here, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, when we separate ourselves from uh, the majesty and glory of who Jesus Christ and who God is, and we just look at life in the here and now, all of us come to that conclusion, what a waste. What's the point? What's straight, what's crooked cannot be made straight. It can't be made sense of. Except for over the Son, because Solomon also collected the book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, Trust with the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. There's only one who can straighten all this out. There's only one who can right all these wrongs. It's Jesus Christ. Solomon goes on in verse 16. He says, I said to myself, Look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. This is quite a statement. And it's true. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. If anyone was going to find meaning, it was Solomon. But I learned firsthand, he writes, that pursuing all of this is like, there it is again, chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief to increase in knowledge he's talking under the sun only increases sorrow have you ever noticed that some of the smartest most brilliant wisest people in all of history are often some of the most depressed and troubled and hurting why is that because apart from jesus christ if your eyes is like this is this is it this is all there is you realize how futile and fleeting life is. Case in point, have you heard of a guy by the name of Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking uh, was one of, potentially one of the most brilliant men to ever live on this earth. God gave him incredible intellect. He was a brilliant scientist. He he suffered with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease, and he died in March of this year at age 76. Before his death, he was writing a book, Uh, called Brief Answers to the Big Questions, and that book was published on Tuesday of this week. His family helped finish it for him, and his reason for writing it is because because of his brilliance, so many people just wanted to hear from him uh, what his thoughts were on big issues, such as, does God exist? Sadly, here's what he wrote. There is no God. No one directs The universe. I would imagine moments after his death, he wished he could recant. And that he would not agree with that statement today. But what that is, is that's looking at life under the sun. And if that's all there is, guess what? His conclusion is absolutely right. But there's more. God has set eternity in the heart of man. There's more, friends. See, Solomon, though, he, he's, he's searching for these things. So his conclusion, you know, um, he, he, he told us already, he said, every pursuit under the sun is meaningless. And now he, he turns uh, to explore this. For example, pleasure, wisdom, work, it's all fleeting and folly. Let's take those three in order. Ecclesiastes details Solomon's experimentation with every pleasure under the sun. Think about this. He created, he, he built the temple of God, which was incredibly opulent, incredibly beautiful. Every surface inside the temple covered with gold, worth billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, right, is what it cost to build a t- the temple in today's money. He also, though, constructed a palace that was so opulent, it staggered other world leaders at the time. He acquired so many jewels and possessions and wealth that it was innumerable, seeking after pleasure. In fact, I already told you, he was worth $2.2 trillion in today's dollars. Solomon pursued advanced academic studies like no one else had in his time. He pursued sexual pleasure to his demise, by the way, because all of that ended up dragging his heart astray from God towards false gods. And, and what we're going to see is that his pursuit of pleasure, it all resulted in emptiness. See, Solomon starts here with pleasure. Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He, he, said, he writes, I said to myself, come on, let's, let's try pleasure. It's almost as if he had taken so much time thinking about things that he's like, I just need an escape for a while. Let's see if there's any meaning there when I escape. So let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Here's what he writes, but I found that this too was meaningless. Have you ever experienced that? You think like, oh, if I just got that thing or I just, you know... Had that experience, or I just uh, made that much money, or I just had that day off. Like, that suddenly things. But then you find out at the end of that day, eh, I guess I'm still feeling like I'm pretty empty. You ever have that? Just me. So I said, uh, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, so you just keep seeking other pleasures. And while still seeking wisdom, I, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. That's true too, isn't it? That so many just clutch after pleasure, it's because it's, it's just the one thing that they can find to medicate their soul for like just an instant. But it's still fleeting. And he's like, I I clutched at the only happiness most people ever find. I also tried to find meaning uh, by building huge homes for myself. We're going to see him talk about work here in a moment. And by planting beautiful vineyards. Because he's saying that there was pleasure in work. Would you agree with that too? There's pleasure and satisfaction in accomplishing things. Solomon confirmed that he's like I made gardens and parks filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. In First Kings 4, see Solomon was brilliant. He wasn't just wise, he was brilliant. It says that he spoke over 3000 proverbs, his songs were 1005. He spoke of trees, he was a botanist too. He spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He, he spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And what, what the writer in First Kings here is saying is that Solomon was an authority on these things. He was brilliant about these things. And people from all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon goes on again back in Ecclesiastes 2, uh, talking about his pursuit of pleasure. I bought slaves, both men and women. You know, maybe if I just had somebody to clean the house once in a while, that would make me feel better about life. And that might be a good thing to do. Do that if you can do that. That's a great thing. But if you're expecting that to just change the world forever for you, Solomon says it doesn't work. I also large, owned large herds of, and flocks, more than any of the kings who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. And had many beautiful concubines, and I had everything a man could ever desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself, he says, no pleasure. I even found great pleasure, he's already we already talked about this, And hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as soon as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing, there it is again, chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So Solomon pursues pleasure, and it all ends up being empty. And then he goes on, and he, he comes back to his pursuit of wisdom. Look at verse 12. So I decided to compare uh, wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? He right. nobody could. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. That's, that's a pretty good conclusion. Wisdom, would you agree? Wisdom is better than being foolish? Yeah, it is. In fact, Solomon will say later in chapter uh, seven, I believe, he says that uh, a young person who is wise is Uh, better off than a king who is foolish. Wisdom is better than foolishness. And he said, uh, but then look at what he says at the end of verse 14. He goes, yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. That if all there is is life under the sun, even if you're wise and your life goes better, guess what happens? You still die. Just like the foolish person. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I'm going to end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. Aren't you just so encouraged by Solomon? He's like, man, Solomon, whew, buddy. But he's right, though, isn't he? If all there is is life under the sun, it's all meaningless. And even living a life of wisdom, life might go better for you. But you know what? In the end, you still die. And so why not just live a life of foolishness and die sooner and get it over with? It's kind of what he's saying. For the wise and the foolish both die, verse 16. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. That's true too, isn't it? You know, I'm reminded of that, maybe you'll be reminded, any of you who have been a part of our church for a long time, if you walk out these doors this morning, it's like walking back in time a little bit, isn't it? When you walk out there, you can see layers of time as they've been uh, deconstructing things for the new edition, and you can see a, a wall now that, I had forgotten that it was just a block wall that was painted pink, sorry, mauve, not pink, mauve, it's a fancy way to say pink. And then there's a little bit of wallpaper back on this side you can see. And I would guess that uh, when that was done, um, I wasn't here, but it was beautiful in its time. And people looked at it and thought, this is, this is great. This will last forever. Until it didn't. And then about 10, 15 years ago, whatever it's been now, we covered all the pink with green. Oh, this is great. This will... Now we're set. This will be good. And now you walk out there and you see these layers. And guess what? It's going to turn a different color here in a few more weeks. And it'll be great for right now. But guess what's going to happen in 10, 15 years, if not sooner? Who picked out these colors? That's what's going to happen. And the ones who picked them out are going to be forgotten. Because life under the sun is meaningless. And all your labor and all your toil... Who cares? In the days to come, both, will, uh, both the fool and the wise will be forgotten," Solomon says. So I came to hate every, hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything, meaning everything under the sun, is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind." Then he turns his attention to work for the rest of chapter two. He says, "I came to hate all my hard work here on Earth, for I must leave it to others." I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they're going to control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. You ever think about that? Even if you live with wisdom, all the good things you accomplish when you die, you have zero control over anymore. Now you might be able to write some kind of will that, you know, distributes your wealth to so and so and so and so. But eventually, still, no ultimate control. So I gave up, Solomon says, in despair. Because even his, even his hard work was meaningless. Questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great tragedy. So, what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor, here's what they get. He says, Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. He's just on a downward spiral, and it doesn't get much better. But here's what Solomon says. It actually gets better at different times, and it does here in these next couple verses. I would argue that Solomon is telling us that um, because all of these things under the sun are fleeting, we ought to play the long game. Do you know what I mean by that? Here's what he says. Um, So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures, where are they from? Are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? See, Solomon tells us that we ought to play the long game, that we ought to enjoy our lives now. Paul writes to Timothy that every good thing that God gives us is given to us for what purpose? To enjoy did you know that? Like he gives you good things because he's a good dad and he loves his kids and he gives them to you simply, sometimes for the purpose of enjoyment. That's pretty cool. Solomon confirms this. He, he said it right there. He said that uh, I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink, to find satisfaction in work. Because who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him, apart from God? Solomon encourages us. Listen, life under the sun is meaningless. Pleasure, work, wisdom, it's all fleeting and folly. So, So live in light of eternity. That's what he says. Enjoy life now and live in light of eternity. Solomon discovered... What so many of us fail to realize, that there is life above the sun, that there's eternity on the other side, friends, that if your eyes are focused here and now all the time, guess what? It's meaningless, and you're going to find life empty and futile and fleeting, but God's purpose for you in this life is to enjoy your life now. Enjoy it, but enjoy it how? How? In light of eternity. So, what does that do? That changes my priorities and how I spend my wealth. It changes my priorities and how I spend time with people. It changes all of those things when I live in light of the fact that this is just the dress rehearsal. It changes the way I worship on a Sunday morning. It's not just, you know, I love Jesus. How about you? you know? No, it's like, no, 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 no. This is just a tune-up, man. Eternity is waiting. Are you getting ready for that? There's rewards in eternity for how you live your life and spend your life now. If there wasn't rewards and we weren't meant to seek them, why would Jesus tell us about them? But, But living in light of eternity, guess what it does? It makes everything have meaning. Even everything under the sun. When I live in light of eternity and and have my faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that there's more than what I see, it makes everything that just from this vantage point under the sun looks meaningless, suddenly you see everything has meaning. I'll close with this. I I shared an illustration with you a few weeks ago in in our previous series about, there's an illustration that uh, I think it was old Puritan preachers used to love to tell. They talked about uh, the loom and weaving uh, something on a loom right and how oftentimes if you're under the loom if you just look at it from a all you see is a bunch of strings and knots and mess but what happens when you step above the loom and look down on it you see this beautiful tapestry that's being woven friends if you live your life totally just under the loom under the sun yeah it's a huge mess but guess what? When you realize there's another side and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and begin to live in light of eternity, it all becomes beautiful. It all has, even what looked meaningless, it all has meaning and purpose. That's why Paul says this. Whatever you find yourself to do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen? Let me pray. The worship team's gonna come up. We're going to call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we find meaning. We find purpose for life. That, that life under the sun is not all that there is. That there is so much more. The reality is Solomon saw it. You, you blessed him with more wisdom than anyone other than Jesus has ever had who walked the face of the earth. And When he looked at life under the sun, he pursued every pleasure. He had everything a man could desire. And yet he came to the conclusion that all of it is meaningless. Yet at the end, he tells us, so he concluded that the the purpose for our life then, God, is to enjoy you and to obey you. And Father, when we enjoy our life now and we keep our sights on eternity, life has meaning. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing my voice right now who have maybe never put their trust and their faith, Jesus, in you and your work for them on the cross. They have this sense of uh, futility and of fleeting and realizing that there's more to life than uh, than what they're experiencing because you've placed it in their heart. You've placed eternity in the heart of men. So Lord, would you uh, cause them to turn to you in faith? And if that's you, if you would simply uh, turn to the Lord and Uh, confess your sin, let him know that you need a savior, that you recognize there's more. Uh, He he promises to forgive you, to make you new, and to, uh, to adopt you as his child. And your life now has meaning as you live for eternity. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.